Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 224 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episode, we talk wild camping for hikers. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. For many hikers and campers, when they first start out, it's common that they'll go with an organised group or a more experienced friend just to show them the ropes. Typically, if campsite bookings are required, these will often appear to be done magically, happening in the background somewhere. Now, unless you look in more detail, you can be forgiven for thinking that you can camp anywhere you like, a term commonly known as wild camping. However, this is not always the case. Australia's various states and territories each have their own rules and regulations on where you can and can't camp, and because these rules vary, it's hard to keep track about what applies to each state and territory, particularly when there always seems to be exceptions. In this podcast episode, we talk about wild camping uh, and the impact it has on hiking. We hope you enjoy. Now, before we talk about camping in details for each of the states and territories, it's worthwhile just defining a few terms that are relevant to this conversation. Now, the first one that you may hear, and again, it's not a common term that you'll hear as a hiker. Quite often, it tends to be more something from a car camping perspective, and that's free camping. Now, from an Australian perspective, when we say free camping, we're not necessarily saying it costs you no money. Uh, it's more a term that it's not really a turn up to the gate, go into the office, pay some money, uh, and, and, and you'll be allotted a particular site. Free camping in Australia tends to relate to designated sites that are spread around the country, typically for uh, recreational vehicles and cars and caravans that you pull up off the road and you camp there overnight. Typically, these free camping sites tend to be pretty basic, and in a lot of cases, they might be just a flat area of ground just off the road. Uh, and I've been to a number of sites that uh, that fall into this sort of category and camp there as a walk-in camper, but they really tend to be very few facilities or resources there. It really relies on you bringing everything with you. So from a hiking perspective, free camping isn't always something that we want to really go through and consider. The next one is wild camping. Now, from an Australian perspective, it can also be called backcountry camping or bush camping. And in particular, bush camping is a really common term that you'll come across on the internet. And really, these terms mean the same thing. 
So when we're talking about wild camping, it very much tends to be a term associated with hikers and typically implies camping away from designated campsites, usually in national parks and reserves or state forests. Many reserves will allow you to camp as a walk-in camper, i.e. hiker, without reservations, although over the last couple of years with the COVID pandemic, this has often changed and the rules and regulations have varied. So in New South Wales, uh, when we did uh, uh, a good chunk of the Schumann hovel track in 2019, we didn't need to book campsites. Because of COVID, uh, you don't have to pay any camping fees, but you do need to book and you do need to pay a booking fee. Which is, <laughs> That's a bit of a yeah, catch, isn't it? It's not a camping fee, it's a booking <laughs> fee. It's, it's an admin fee, uh, which is $6. So it's not a, you know, it's not a big cost imp- input. And the point of the booking is so that uh, the camp areas don't become overcrowded and we can maintain COVID social distancing. Now, where this goes to from there, I don't know. We need, as we're recording this podcast, it's uh, July 2022. Supposedly the pandemic is over, but the, the rules and regulations that are required to booking fees for non-payable campsites still, still applies in New South Wales and for that matter with a lot of other states and territories as well. So it's it's the sort of thing that um, wild camping does vary from state to state, and it does vary in what you need to do. Now, in relation to these booking fees, really this only applies to designated campsites. So I'll go back to the human hovel track again. There are sites that are pretty much in the middle of nowhere. You're not going to be able to drive to them. They're designed for people walking the human hovel track. You turn up, uh, there's typically a toilet there. Uh, There might be a small shelter and a picnic table and a water tank, and that's about it. So minimal resources, but enough to keep people happy. And uh, you can basically just find a flat piece of ground somewhere close by and put your tent up. Yeah, and on the way to some of those sites, we did see other sites that were close to the road, which were for vehicle camping, but you couldn't put a tent up. When we talk about these terms, wild camping, backcountry camping or bush camping, really it tends to create a picture in your mind. Now, I or Jill and I do a lot of camping in the Australian Alps around Kosciuszko National Park. In a lot of cases, it's above the tree line, so in no way can you call it bush camping because you're camping basically on grassy open plains in a lot of cases. Uh, But you are camping in the backcountry and you are wild camping, so you're not camping in a designated campsite. There are limitations, which I'll talk about in a moment, but typically you you look for a flat piece of ground that's got a bit of shelter that's close-ish to water, but that's that's really what you're tending to look for. You're not you're not turning up to a site that has picnic tables and shelters. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of cases, um, national parks will often vary with what they do. So my local national park is Namaji National Park in in the ACT in, in Canberra, and in that case, there you can pretty much camp in some designated campgrounds, but you can also wild camp and camp in most other areas within the park. So the Bimbury Wilderness, which is on the edge of Namaji National Park, because it's in the water catchment area for Canberra, 
there is a limit to how many people can actually camp within that area. And it's actually quite a large area. And I think the figure from memory uh, was around about 10 people each night. <laughs> uh, now, I know, I know for a fact that most people have no idea that that booking system exists. They just turn up, they camp, and in, in any given night, I'm sure there is more than 10 people in that area. We're one of these rare people that that actually do pay the camping fees, but you know it's it's not a big, or the booking fees. Or the booking. No, no. In this case, <laughs> this in, is- <laughs> yeah, in Bimbury Wilderness, they are actually camping fees. And again, I think the last time I think we did this was around about ten dollars per person. So it's not a huge fee, but it's more about keeping track of who's there. So if something, you know, this is a remote area. So if if someone goes missing, that they have an indication of who's likely to be there. The reason for this, as we said, is more about protecting the environment. And in this case with Bimbury Wilderness, it's spread out about protecting the water catchment. You'll find that a lot of areas such as, say, Tasmania, again, they've got a lot of world heritage areas, a lot of really pristine wilderness areas, and the camping may be uh, prohibited or, or limited quite, uh, quite heavily just to help protect the local environment. The third and final term is one that's very much an American term. It's not really that widely used in Australia, but if you're into long-distance hiking, if you're interested in the American trails, and these terms are stealth camping or guerrilla camping. It's an interchangeable term, but when you think about stealth camping or guerrilla camping, you know, stealth means you're doing it and you're not being visible. Guerrilla camping is doing something and, and virtually hiding, if you like. Uh, and what this means that also implies that you're doing that because you you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. Yeah, and that's pretty much about it. So certainly for people that do go through and stealth camp or guerrilla camp, typically what will happen is they'll set up their tents in a really obscure area. They won't be really obvious. It's not as if you're camping right out in the open. You find trees or shrubs or rocks that you can hide behind just so you aren't obvious. Now, one of the reasons that I bring this up is um, recently I did the East Gippsland Rail Trail in Victoria and I'd pretty much determined where I was going to be camping each night. Uh, And uh, in my case, it was in designated camping areas, so I didn't have to think about it. But while I was doing the walk, I thought, well, is there some other option that I could do that if I decided I didn't want to do as big a distances, could I actually just camp along the rail trail itself? And I came back and I talked to the rail trail people in Victoria uh, and they sent me a batch of texts which basically says camping is prohibited in the rail trail corridor. So, you know, you are not supposed to camp in the rail trail corridor. And if a ranger happens to come along, uh, there's two options that are likely to occur. They're likely to ask you to move on and potentially they might fine you as well, um, either one or both. Uh, depending on what mood you're in on the day and and how obnoxious you're being and responding to them. (laughs) Hopefully Uh, (laughs) not too obnoxious. No, and that's the thing. If you're not supposed to be there, there's always the risk that you will be asked to move. So you can choose to go through and say, well, I'm I'm going to ignore the rules and the regulations. I'm going to camp where I like uh, and I'll hide behind bushes and areas where people won't see me. Now, if you're going to be doing this, having a bright red tent is probably not the the way to go, or a bright orange tent. You want a tent that's going to blend in. But, you know, from our perspective, I have never gorilla camped or stealth camped. However, I have camped in areas I discovered after the fact 
that I probably shouldn't have been camping in there, just because I wasn't aware of the local regulations. Mm, that's right. Uh, and certainly for Jill and I, when we did the again coming back to the human hovel track, we can't. We just got to a stage where it was a big day. I was having uh, issues with my knees. Uh, I couldn't really go. Couldn't didn't really feel like going on any further. I knew there was a campsite approaching, but I, I we thought it was probably about three or four more kilometres and I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. So we ended up camping along the side of the road and this was in a rural area, uh, nowhere near the general public. Uh, we did get a couple of odd looks from people who lived in the area looking at what we were doing. Uh, but no one <laughs> It was camped. a dirt road. It was a, it was a dirt road <laughs> in, back, in the back back areas of, the, of rural New South Wales and Technically, we shouldn't have been camping there. We should have kept on going. But sometimes things happen outside of your control, and if it's a choice between injuring yourself or putting yourself at risk or you know the weather's about to come in horrendously. I've been in the Australian Alps when a, a large thunder and lightning storm was coming in. Uh, I was above the tree line, and that is always a risk. So I ended up clo- uh, camping close to one of the huts, uh, which is what I wasn't supposed to do, but from a safety perspective, it really was the best option. Uh, I could have potentially uh, argued that it would have been safer to actually sleep in the hut, and the huts are meant for emergency camping, not planned camping. And you know, I, I, I just chose to camp right next to the hut, uh, and the storm came and went reasonably quickly. But it was a pretty big storm, lots of lightning involved with it as well. And when you're the tallest thing in the area, uh, you present a bit of a target for, for lightning strikes. Okay, now I would suggest from here that you go through to the written version of this podcast and look at each of the states and territories. I'm not going to go through in detail and talk about what you can and can't do in each of the the territories and states, but one thing that did become really obvious to me, and I I was aware of this previously, but it, it was just reinforced in preparing for this podcast is there's no one central source that you can go to to find all the details for where you can and can't camp, uh, either as a hiker or as a car camper, um, uh, on the internet. Yeah, and the other thing about that is um, there there isn't one source and there's so much variation um, from state to state. And um, we'll talk about a couple of the the unusual aspects that are in some of the rules and the regs. Um, But you really do need to be looking at the state and the specific location that you're going to. So I'll use as an example here state forests. Every every state and territory, with possibly the exception of the Northern Territory, has a state forestry body of some sort where they have commercial uh, forests, which they log. And Western Australia, they love people to come in and camp, uh, with exceptions of where signs say no camping, you can pretty much camp in a state forest. Now, when I did the Bimbledon track, I did actually camp in state forest land on one of the nights in tent. Uh, I knew that I, I knew I was in state forest and I knew that I was allowed to be there. But I also camped another night outside of the state forest and I wasn't aware that I was supposed to be there. So it was just, just not being familiar enough with the regulations. Western Australia, really happy to have you camp in their state forests. Victoria and New South Wales are different. So in the case of Victoria, 
Yes, they're happy for you to camp in the state forests, but only in areas designated for camping. So if you come across a state state forest and there are no designated camping areas, you're not supposed to camp in there. Whereas Western Australia, not a problem. Now, this is for a number of reasons. They are working forests. So again, when we did the human hovel track, we were actually walking through uh, on logging forestry roads in some of the instances, and there was logging going on. So large machinery, noisy machinery, logging trucks all going through, and they didn't prevent us from going in there, but certainly we couldn't really camp in there. And I, and I don't think I'd want to anyway, because you know, you, you, if you're in the middle of nowhere and it's really open, so we walked through a lot of the forestry areas and uh, this, the allowances for the state forest really does vary from state to state. The other thing is also with national parks. So as, I men- as mentioned, our local park in, here in Canberra is Namaji National Park um, and you have the ability to camp in designated camping areas for which you need to book. Uh, you can also pretty much camp uh, in open areas in the, in the valleys. Um, and in that instance, uh, there are no camping fees associated with it. Uh, you just need to be able to park your car, walk in and set up your tent. Now, in that instance, really happy to have campers pretty much anywhere apart from where they say you can't camp in the Bimbury Wilderness unless you've got a permit. Kosciuszko National Park in New South Wales, uh, again, camping above the tree line, quite welcome and there's a lot of people that do that, that do the main range walk or want to summit Kosciuszko so they'll camp close to the summit but there is again there is restrictions to how far away you have to be you can't actually camp on the summit of Mount Kosciuszko uh, but you know you can camp two or three kilometers away rather than sort of 10 or 12 which means getting up on Mount Kosciuszko for sunrise is much easier. Yeah, and you also need to be mindful about the water sources and the lakes as well and make sure that you're camping the right distance away from those. I must admit that when we do camp in and around uh, main range, it's it's very weird to step off the track or, or even step off the boardwalk and then uh, go and find a, a spot to um, pitch a tent. You You feel as if you're violating uh you know if you've if you've done the right thing and you've uh, worked out where you can go uh you are allowed to do it but it's just the weirdest feeling um particularly when you know there are lots of people around and you know you decide that you're going to take a right turn and step off and um and go and find your campsite for the night it's it's interesting with the main range walk. We we actually did the Aussie Ten, which is Australia's ten highest summits, and we did that over three days, and it's a reasonably comfortable walk over three days. Um, if we went back and did it again, hindsight's really wonderful. We would have picked slightly different campsites, uh, at least on uh, the uh, the first night. We camped somewhere which we thought was a good campsite. Uh, and then the next morning when we summited uh, one of the hills across the valley, we found this perfect camping area, <laughs> which was th- 300% better than what we'd actually picked. Uh, but again, you know, we didn't realise that until the next day. So hindsight's one of those sort of things. I did like, not really, um, one of the um, spots you chose to uh, dig the toilet hole Looking down over the boardwalk, uh, a magnificent view, but yeah, it wasn't quite the spot I was thinking of. (laughs) 
But anyway, <laughs> I survived that one. <laughs> so each state and territory does tend to make restrictions or limit what you can and can't do. So uh, Victoria, I think there's camping in 25 out of the 35 national parks. There's limits and restrictions. So if you're doing the Australian Alps walking track, uh, so there's a chunk in Victoria, a chunk in New South Wales, and the last small section in the ACT, very much are wild camping all the way through. But you're, you're not actually going anywhere near designated campgrounds, although the section towards Canberra, from Kyandra through to Canberra itself, uh, you are uh, going past a number of huts where, again, the huts are meant for emergency uh, and you can camp near them, uh, but you are supposed to camp a certain distance away. Uh, just to uh, uh, limit the impact on the huts because they've been there for quite a while and they are there as an emergency facility if something really means you need to sleep inside because of the weather conditions or from injury. So it's the sort of thing with each of the states and territories, and my comment would be here, I know our local area, the rules and the regulations really well. Uh, I've been hiking and camping in these areas for a long time. I know where to find the information. Uh, I know what the rules and regulations are. But when I go to another state and territory, really, as I said, it's, the issue is that there's no one central source. So I've gone through and put a number of links in the written version of this podcast. Uh, and certainly the state park services are a good starting point. Also, the state forest organizations, whether it's the authority or the whichever body runs the state forests, they'll talk about camping as well. Uh, and there will also be other websites that relate mainly to car camping that talk about where you can and can't camp. But there, as I said, it's really not the easiest thing to find out. And it often comes down to, okay, I'm going to be walking through two or three national parks on this walk. And I need to look at each of the national park websites and see what the rules and restrictions are for that. Or I'm going to be walking through some state reserves. What are the rules and restrictions? The other thing apart from national parks is also what they class as crown land. So government land that isn't necessarily a, a nature reserve or a park, uh, but road verges, picnic areas. And again, each state and territory tends to treat this type of land differently and in some instances, they'll say, yes, you can camp there. And in other areas, they'll say, no, you cannot absolutely camp there at all. Or it's a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, when uh, we were looking at um, the write-up for this article, and, and uh, the, th the thing that surprised me was that in Queensland, um, you can't camp off the side of the road, particularly you know, with a car or a caravan or whatever. And I thought, wow, I thought everybody did that in Queensland. But anyway, <laughs> they must be uh, finding a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that's it. I mean, you know, the general assumption is, you know, if you've got a caravan you just or even a tent, you just pull off the road, you set up. Uh, now, I mean, again, it's, it's how you set up is, is often the case. And a number of states, they'll say, yes, you can sleep in your car overnight, but you can't make it obvious. So if you start setting up an awning and setting up uh, a table and chairs and and setting up, you know setting up a a a, a small stove, uh, and yeah, you know, it, it becomes very obvious you're camping as opposed to just sleeping in the car or the vehicle itself. So again, this is one of these things where there is no one standard throughout Australia, uh, and even within states, while state law may not 
uh, prohibit something, you may find that the local government areas do prohibit it. So it's not just about state land. It's also about if you're walking off state land or walking out of national parks or reserves into crown land, what you can and can't do. And that becomes a bit more complex. So as a final thought, as I said, I must admit, I really did struggle to find a the ultimate source for where you can find all this information in one go. And as I said, we've gone through and put this together in a written version, which provides some links. And the links probably are the best resources to go to. So we've put some generic information to give you a general idea but you're best off going to the links and looking at each of the states and territories websites about what you can and can't do. I think what this comes down to is this is a planning issue and whatever hike you do, you need to go through and consider Am I, if you're camping in designated camping sites, you might need to pay or at least book to the, so you can go in there. If you're going on a, a site or like the... Overland track, as an example, they limit the number of people that can actually be on trail at any one day. That's so you don't overload the trail and people have access to the facilities. And you do have to camp in the designated camp areas. Yeah, you can't just wander off and camp in the middle of nowhere unless it's an emergency. But again, you shouldn't plan on it. It should be it's a last resort and, you know, the weather's coming in and I'm about to freeze to death and then I'll put a tent up because, you know, in all honesty, personal safety is one thing. But as I said, don't plan to camp when you're not allowed to. It really is a last resort. So as mentioned, really what it comes down to is is plan, plan and plan. And if, if in doubt, look up a couple of different resources uh, to see if there's any contradictory information. Because in all honesty, that is the case. Uh, you will find different information telling you different things about the same sites. Uh, and basically what it comes down to, if in doubt, use the government, state government websites as they're the ones that are responsible for maintaining these sites. And they're also the ones that are potentially going to fine you if you do something wrong. One final comment that I'd make here as well is camping on private property. Um, if you are going to camp on private property, talk to the property owners. Um, there, uh, the Bibbleman Track in Western Australia goes through some farm areas, as does the Human Hovel. And that right of way has been provided by someone talking to the landowners and getting agreement to do this. And if that's abused and people start doing things they're not, not supposed to, then the landowners can potentially turn around and say, look, this is becoming too difficult and stop people accessing and, and cause route changes, on, on particularly on the larger trails. Yeah, and it's preferable that you don't camp on the private land. But, you know, as Tim was saying, sometimes uh, there are emergencies and in those cases it's important to talk to the landowners and get their permission. Okay, that's all for this week. We hope it's provided some at least minor, minor clearing <laughs> up of this really complex sort of topic. As I said, it's worthwhile going to the written version of this podcast and the link will be in the show notes for that uh, and then go to the state links to help you find out more information. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.